0: Chapter 41 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 41, The Norsemen in Scotland. The earliest predatory attack by Viking bands in Scotland of which we possess definite information was the ravaging of Icomkill, or Iona, in 794. Four years later we hear of an attack on Ireland and Alban, Scotland, and Iona was repeatedly ravaged during the early decades of the next century. Galloway was laid waste in 823 by Norse Vikings, who were also instrumental in placing Kenneth MacAlpin on the Pictish throne. According to the Ulster Annals, Olaf and Ivar, two Norse kings, attacked Dumberton Rock in 870 and took it after four months' siege. We have already seen how a general emigration from Norway was set on foot during the reign of Harald Horfagra, when many left the country because they would not submit to the powerful king. According to the Läxtrlis saga, Ketil-Flatnev, who finally established himself as independent ruler in the Hebrides, came first to Scotland about 890 and was well received there. He was accompanied by his daughter, Aud the Deep-Minded, who later married King Olaf the White of Dublin. According to the Orkneyinga Saga, Thorstein the Red, a son of Aud and Olaf, invaded the northern mainland of Scotland. "'He ravaged the country far and wide and was always victorious,' says the Saga." Later he made an agreement with the king of the Scots, by which he received half of Scotland, over which he became king. Thorsten seems to have been the first to establish Norse influence on the mainland of Scotland, and his power probably extended over Caithness, Sunderland, and Ross. The Heimskringla states that Thorsten the Red and Sigurd, a son of Ragnvald Murriarl, took possession of Caithness and Sunderland as far as Eichelsbacca, i.e. the region about the Oichel River. When Sigurd died, his son Guthorm ruled the lands one winter and died childless. Afterwards, the Vikings established themselves in these lands, Danes and Norsemen. When Sigurd Ludwissson became Jarl of the Orkneys, he took possession of the Scotch districts of Caithness, Moray, Ross, and Argyll. He married a daughter of King Malcolm II of Scotland, who became the mother of Thorfinn Jarl. At this time, the district of Galloway, in southwestern Scotland, was also extensively colonized by Norse settlers who came over from the neighboring Isle of Man. The Norse influence in this district is apparent, especially in many personal names of Norse origin, such as MacEttric, MacEttric, from Norse Sigtrig, Cittric, Maerer, Macure, from Norse Ivar or Ingvar, McBurnie from Bjorn, etc. When Sigurd's fall at Clontarf, 1014, was rumored in Scotland, King Malcolm the Second gave the earldom of Caithness to Thorfinn his daughter's son by Sigurd, then twelve years of age, while Sigurd's three other sons by a former marriage, Sumarlide, Brusa, and Einar, divided the Orkneys among themselves. Sumerlide died soon, and the unpopular Einar was slain. Thorfinn acquired the possessions of both, and when Brusa died, he became Jarl of all the Orkneys. Upon the death of King Malcolm II, his maternal grandfather, he also seized Sutherland, Ross, and Galloway, the saga states that he also took possession of the Sudris, Hebrides, and that he sent his friend and relative, Kalv Arneson, to maintain his authority there. Thorfinn had married Ingebirg, daughter of Finn Arneson, kalv's brother. Jarl Thorfinn retained all his dominions till his dying day, says the saga, and it is truly said that he was the most powerful of all the Jarls of the Orkneys. He was a man of large stature, uncomely, sharp-featured, dark-haired, and sallow and swarthy in his complexion yet he was a most martial-looking man, and of great energy, greedy of wealth and of renown, bold and successful in war, and a great strategist. Thorfinn's cousin, Duncan, the son of another daughter of Malcolm II, succeeded his grandfather, but Macbeth, well-known from Shakespeare's drama of the same name, who was also Duncan's cousin, had probably an equally valid claim to the throne. He was marimor of Moray and Thorfinn's firm friend and ally. When Duncan became king, he claimed suzerainty over Caithness and Sutherland, but Thorfinn refused to acknowledge his overlordship because Malcolm II had granted him his earldom in full possession. Malcolm, who no doubt also coveted the throne, supported Thorfinn, but because he feared that Duncan would do as Malcolm II had done, who increased his power at the expense of Merrimors. Duncan attacked Thorfinn, but was entirely discomfited in the sharp naval engagement at Deerness in the Orkneys. Earl Madan, who led Duncan's land forces into Caithness, was slain by Thorkel Faustry at Thurso. Duncan fled, but he soon gathered a large army and renewed the attack. He met Thorfinn at Torfness in northern Scotland, but suffered a crushing defeat. According to Scotch sources, Duncan was slain in 1040 near Elgin. George Henderson says, The probability is that he was attacked and slain by Macbeth in the confusion and discord following upon the defeat at Torfness which has been identified with Burghead. Upon the death of Duncan in 1040, Macbeth became king of Scotland and ruled for many years. He was a just and equitable prince, with none of those dark traits of character portrayed by the great dramatist. In 1050, King Macbeth made a pilgrimage to Rome to obtain absolution from his sins, and as Thorfinn also went to Rome for the same purpose, it is likely that the two friends made the journey together. Skein shows that although Macbeth occupied the throne, his sway in Scotland rested on the power and influence of Earl Thorfinn and the Norsemen of the Orkneys. Malcolm Canmore, the son of Duncan, finally took the field against Macbeth, who was defeated in the Battle of Dunsinane in 1054. In 1057 he was slain in the Battle of Lumpanon. Malcolm had married Ingeborg, the daughter of Thorfinn and his wife, who was a daughter of Finn Arneson of Norway, and when Malcolm ascended the throne the Norwegian girl became Queen of Scotland. Thorfinn, who undoubtedly had aided Macbeth, also met with reverses and probably had to give up his possessions in southern Scotland. The strife between Malcolm and Thorfinn continued until the latter's death in 1064. The colonies in Caithness and Sutherland continued to exist as distinct Norse settlements ruled by Norse Jarls, but after Thorfinn's death they passed permanently under the overlordship of the King of Scotland. Thorfinn's sons, Paul and Erland, succeeded to the government of the Orkneys. As vassals of the King of Norway, they were called upon to aid King Harald Sigurdsson, Hardråde, when he invaded England in 1066. They were both present at the Battle of Stamford Bridge, where King Harald fell. In 1098, Magnus Barefoot, King of Norway, came to the British Isles with a large fleet. He subdued the Sudres, Hebrides, and seized Lugman, the son of Gudrud, King of the Islands. The King of Scotland sent messengers to him to offer peace. They said that the king of the Scots was willing to give him all the islands lying west of Scotland, between which and the mainland he could pass in a vessel with the rudder shipped. Thereupon King Magnus landed in Satyri, saint and had a boat drawn across the Isthmus, he himself holding the hem, and thus he gained possession of the whole of Satyri, which is better than the best island of the Sudris, man excepted. Magnus seized also Jarl's Paul and Erland, and sent them to Norway, where they died. Their sons Hawkin and Magnus, then became rulers of the Orkneys for some time, but trouble arose between them, and Hawkin captured Magnus and had him executed. When Hawkin died. His sons succeeded him. One of them, Harold, held Caithness from the King of the Scots, and he resided frequently there, but sometimes also in Scotland, Sutherland, for he had many friends and kinsmen there in the reign of William the Lion, who was crowned King of Scotland in eleven sixty six Harold Dunge came to Scotland with his followers. Jarl Harald requested King William to grant him half of Caithness, which Jarl Riggenwald had held. The king granted him this, and Jarl Harald went then down to Caithness to gather troops. Orkneying a Saga, Chapter 113 When Harald Ungi died, Harald Maddison took forcible possession of Caithness without asking the king's leave. He was also ruler of the Orkneys and the Shetland Islands. But King Sverre of Norway seized the Stretland Islands, and King William the Lion forced Harold to hold Caithness on the same terms as his predecessor Harald Ungi. The Orkneyinga saga relates also how the Norse people in Caithness killed Bishop Adam because he increased their taxes. This event, which happened in 1222, is recorded in the Islandske Annaler, and also in a letter from Pope Honorius dated February 13, 1223. The Norse settlers gradually ceased to stand apart as a distinct foreign element. They lost their national identity and mingled with the native population, but only after influencing the language, culture, and character of the people of Scotland, so deeply and permanently that the Scots were henceforth a mixed people, showing clearly the characteristic traits of both races. In speaking of the Norse influence in Scotland, Dr. George Henderson says, The influence was so mighty that had the Gaelic language not been one of the most vigorous forms of speech, it must have died out but the Gaelic people at the time were martial and powerful to an extent that afterwards made the perfervid genius of the Scots proverbial in Europe. But the result of this racial fusion is that Celtic Scotland of today holds a mediating position in point of race, and is much better equipped than it otherwise could have been for adapting itself to the requirements of the world. Carlyle once called the Highlanders a Norse breed, and he was in a rough way nearer the truth than many imagine. The Norse influence in various fields of Scotch culture is so extensive that only a few prominent features can be mentioned here by way of illustration. A more detailed and complete discussion of this subject will be found in Dr. Henderson's excellent work Norse Influence on Celtic Scotland, which has already been quoted. In Scotland, as well as in Man and the Hebrides, remnants have been found of decorated Viking stone crosses with runic inscriptions. Most interesting of all is a stone with Scandinavian artwork, found by Mr. Collingwood in the chapel of St. Oran and now deposited in the cathedral of Iona, an isle which is the burial place of eight Norse kings. This Iona cross-shaft of the Viking age has the usual Scandinavian dragon, with a regular interlacing, and also a galley with its crew, a smith and his hammer, anvil, and pincers, and so greatly resembles the Manx crosses that it may have been the tombstone of one of the Norse kings of man, says Dr. Henderson. Sword hilts and rare brooches and other ornaments of Norse origin have been unearthed in many Viking burial places these articles are so exquisitely designed and wrought with such consummate skill that they prove the makers to have been adepts in the goldsmith's and jewellers art a sword hilt of the viking time found in aig is especially fine dr j anderson says of it i know no finer or more elaborate piece of art workmanship of the kind either in this country or in norway the number of personal and place names of norse origin in scotland is so large that the few which can be cited as illustration Cannot well convey any idea of the extent of Norse influence on this point. Huistin, from the older form Huistrin, Anglicized Hugh, is from the Norse Eystein. Meiver from Ivar or Ingvar. Macandy from Norse Andy, a form found in Andabu and Andestad. McSwain from Sven. Macsirid from the Norse Sigridr. Macuspæg from Uspæker. Miazgil. Macaskill from Ascatil, Lamont from Lagman, Macaulay from Onluff, Olav, Macleod or Macloyd, from the older form Maclotr from Norse Ljotr, Macrimmon from Norse Ruman, Macadrum from Gutorma. In speaking of Norse place names in Scotland, Dr. Henderson says, many of the chief features in the Scottish mainland from Eskadale, Norse Eskidalar, Ashdale, by the Beauty River, of old Uiske Farrar, and northwards round the coasts of Ross and Sutherland and Caithness, and along the western border southward to Galloway and Liddesdale. The Hlithdallar of the Viking settlers are Norse. As soon as we cross from the Beulie Valley into Ure, we have Taradale, from the Norse Tafardallar, Bulldale, Alcaig in Urquart from Norse Alkavik, Auxbay, Kulbo in Resolus from Norse Kula, a ball or knob, and bull a farmstead. Udal in Comarty, Norse Edaler, Udale, Scatwell in Conton is from Norse Scatweller, the Scatfield or land which yielded tax, i. e. Scot to the Northern Earls, whose seat of justice is commemorated prominently in Dingwall, Norse Thingwaller, the Field of the Thing, or Norse Court of Justice. Norse Foller meets us in Bray Langwell, Norse Langfoller, Longfield, in Rasolhas. Repeated again in Langwell Caithness. Cadbull, Cathbull, 1561, is from North Catharbull, Catstead. When we cross to Sutherland, Norse names abound with the Norse terminations in Dale, Bull, Homestead, Giel, Foller, Baki, Bank, Eri, Ari, Schilling, Au, River. A few prominent names may suffice for illustration, such as Sordale, Swardale, Helmsdale, Hjalmunsdale, Strath-Halladale, Holydale, Torresdale, Thoriersdale, Hjoldale, Colddale, or Kieldale. Norse influence on the Scotch language has been both extensive and lasting. A large Norse vocabulary has been incorporated in the original Gaelic tongue once spoken in Scotland, so that the Highland Scotch speech is no less a composite language than the people themselves are a mixed race. The words referring to dress and armour, pasture, agriculture, peat, trees, carpentry, fish and fishing, birds and animals, time, measure, house, household, family life and government, sea and ships, are Norse to a very large extent. The more rapid discarding of inflectional endings in northern Scotland is also due to Norse influence. But above all, says Henderson, it is the difference in intonation, in modulation in the use of the voice between speakers from central Lochaber, say, where there are no Norse place names, and between Sutherland or Lewis speakers, where Norse influence is strong, that makes one instinctively feel the presence of the foreigner. One thing is certain there are great similarities between Norse accentuation and that of the Highland area. This has been noted by Dr. Waltman of Lund in a contribution to the Swedish Nordiska studier entitled Nordiska accentformer Igaleska. Not only Ireland, Bretland, or Wales came to know the Vikings, says the same author. They had made a great part of Scotland their own. He quotes the following words from Dasant in the introduction to the njal Saga. To this day, the name of almost every island on the west coast of Scotland is either pure Norse or Norse distorted so as to make it possible for Celtic lips to utter it. The groups of Orkney and Shetland are notoriously Norse, but Lewis and the Uist and Skye and Mull are no less Norse. And not only the names of the islands themselves, but those of reefs and rocks and lakes and headlands bear witness to the same relation, and show that while the original inhabitants were not expelled, but held in bondage as thralls, the Norsemen must have dwelt, and dwelt thickly too, as conquerors and lords. Norse influence may also be traced in charms, fairy tales, and popular beliefs, and in many quaint customs still to be found in Scotland. Noteworthy is the idea of hell as a cold place, which is repeatedly met with in highland poetry. Dr. Henderson calls attention to Mackenzie's Beauties of Gaelic Poetry, from which he cites, among other illustrations, a stanza from an old Caledonian poem, which in translation reads as follows. Woe to the one who chooses cold hell, for it is a cavern with sharp thorns. I abhor hell, with its cold and wet, a place of bitterness everlasting, where bitter is the drink for I. Incantations were used in Scotland to charm away sickness and evil from the cattle as late as 1767 a heathen practice which has been in vogue among the peasantry of Norway till in very recent years. In the Hebrides, the old custom, well known from Iceland, of carrying fire around the possessions belonging to each family has been in use within the memory of people still living. The numerous traces of Norse influence in the culture and temperament of the people of Scotland show the permanent importance of the Norse element to their whole development as a nation. Dr. Henderson says, The Scottish love of freedom, in short, has been intensified by the advent of the Norsemen. Who, within his lights, was law-abiding at home, if cruel as Viking abroad, perhaps to him says Dr. Magnus MacLean, we owe our continuance as a race to this day. He has carried with him over the wave the breath of freedom and strenuous endeavour and fused them into the life of this great nation, helping Britain to build up and maintain a world-wide empire and the supremacy upon the seas. The benefit which the Vikings themselves derived from their prolonged efforts to conquer and colonize new territory may seem relatively small. Their voyages brought them to countries where permanent colonization was impossible, and it is an apparently tragic feature of Viking history that their marvelous expenditure of energy during several centuries brought them no other permanent possessions than the barren islands in the North Atlantic. But if the permanent territorial acquisitions were limited, the Norsemen were richly compensated in other ways. They stimulated the slumbering nations to new activity, engendered a spirit of liberty and enterprise, and furnished ideas which became important factors in the development of western europe they carried strength to others as the poet expresses it this was indeed no misfortune but a victory more lasting and glorious than the mere conquest of territory the norsemen had become a nation great in fame and power in culture and in conscious self-reliance the viking expeditions had given them the opportunity to develop in a broad way their latent powers and to mould on a wide theatre of action the national character which has been the vital force in all subsequent Norwegian history. End of chapter 41